0: One week season. What is going on, OWS fam? Welcome to the week 10 edition of the Angles Podcast. I am your host. I am your guest. I am JM to win. Even if you are watching on YouTube, throw this baby on 1.5x speed or 2x speed, and let's get started with a really fun week. At least I think it's a really fun week. We will dive into what I am seeing on this slate. Uh, If you're new here, the idea behind... Stepping back, the big big picture idea here is that DFS is a game of strategy. DFS is a game of game theory. DFS, excuse me, is not a game of knowing who the good plays are and picking good plays. DFS is a game of understanding how to outmaneuver your competition each week toward a first place finish. This is what we focus on at OWS. This is what we focus on training toward each week. This is one of the reasons why we see so many. OwS pendants at the tops of the leaderboards week in and week out. So, uh, in this podcast, we try to we send out the angles email on Thursdays. You can find that on one week season in the scroll. Uh, we send that out on Thursdays, and that kind of takes a like a macro, big picture view of how the slate shapes up. And then in the angles podcast, we try to get a little bit closer to uh, some of the unique components to get an idea of you know. We always say that every week. DFS is a, every NFL weekend, DFS is a unique puzzle that you get to put together. So we try to use this podcast to get a sense of what the picture on that puzzle box looks like for that particular week. Before we get into that, I wanted to talk real quickly about where we are at in the season. And I think this is an important discussion, probably something that we touch on year in and year out around this time of year, but uh, if you're playing season long, you know, you're you, you kind of know if your season is if you've got a shot at the playoffs or not. Right. There's a lot of people who are playing season long fantasy and they know that their team is out of it for this year. They're starting to lose interest in fantasy as a result. There's also plenty of people who came into the DFS year with high hopes, high expectations and things haven't worked out for them early in the season. And so uh, maybe they're out of bankroll or they have redeposited and they're kind of feeling negative about their play. Uh, And then there's also the group of people that are just fatigued at this point in the season and are not putting in the consistent work. And because of that, there were two things, right? Because of that side of things. And then because of the fact that there is an edge in knowing who the good plays are. And that's one of the things that we hammer a lot on OWS is that our competition for first place is not just people who know or not just our competition for first place in tournaments is not people who know the nfl really well our competition for first place the the names that you consistently see at the tops of leaderboards are people who understand dfs strategy dfs theory a lot of them don't even know the nfl all that well but because of that if we can know the nfl better than those people but then also be as good as they are at dfs strategy and theory we have an edge overall and so as we get to this point in the season nine weeks into the season 10 weeks into the season our understanding of these teams these coaches these players of of who is actually mispriced or who is actually in a good position on this particular site is much better than it can be in weeks one two and three kind of interesting to say that because uh this has been a year where we found a lot of edges early in the season in terms of you know hey here's tank dell at 3200 he's going to be my highest owned wide receiver. Here's Tank Dell at 3,600. He's going to be my highest owned wide receiver. Here's Puka Nakua at 3K and and sub 0.5% ownership in week one. And he's going to be on 5% of my rosters. And uh, so there've been a lot of those things this year, sort of uniquely where we've been able to be much earlier on things than we're typically able to be early, early in the season, but year in and year out, it's this back half of the season where we start to find places where it's like, oh, this player is ascending or this offense is changing in this way. Uh, And the field generally just doesn't have that same field that we do. So we're at the point where our our edge in terms of DFS strategy and theory, our edge, we're never going to have an edge over the sharpest players in that regard, but we can be even with the sharpest players in that regard, which puts us way ahead of the general DFS field. And even just having that you're going to be profitable over time because you're going to be in a position to finish in the money a lot more often than you otherwise would be. You're going to be in position to knock down those first place finishes. But if we can add in good, sharp understanding of these teams, these coaches, these players, uh, these matchups week in and week out, then we add that to our edge of DFS strategy in theory, and we can just be so far ahead of our competition. So this is the point in the season where our edge should be getting to its largest point. And then on top of that, this is the point in the season where most of our competition is really starting to fade in terms of their attention to detail, their focus, their dedication to DFS in general. So a uh, really great stretch for us. And if you have felt your focus and your engagement and your attention to detail slipping, I would encourage you to try to step back and assess that and try to find a way to get reinvigorated. That might even mean taking a week off. That might even mean taking a little a little bye week and listening to content this week and then deciding, hey, I'm not going to play this week and I'll, I'll get back to it next week. Uh, whatever it might be, find that way to re-engage because this back half of the season, again, it takes one week to make your entire season but also it's dfs right there's these asymmetric payouts we had a, a user earlier this year who put in uh, off of $19 made 136 grand now that's not going to happen to everybody but we have if you look at the binks channel every single week there's you know 20 25 30 sometimes more than that screenshots week in and week out from users who had massive asymmetric payouts on that particular week that a lot of times not only paid for the rest of their season or for their entire season, right? Hey, I had this weekend that I'm at profit this season, no matter what happens the rest of my weekends, but also in a lot of instances that pay for multiple years of DFS play. So when you are not putting in that weekly positive sample into the bucket, you don't give yourself that opportunity to be in the right place at the right time when everything connects for you. So uh, back half of the season, continue, make sure that you're continuing to put Make sure you're continuing to treat it the way that you did weeks one, weeks two, week week three, whatever it might have been, where you felt really engaged and really focused. And, and um, yeah, we're really striving toward having your best DFS play week in and week out. DFS is a game of small edges. So what that means is if you are giving away small edges, then your edge is gone. It's not like it's think about people who are, Moderately wealthy, not because they made a lot of money, but because they were just really good at not spending money. And it can, it, you know, if you're not that type of person, you can look at that and be like, oh, yeah, but that just takes so long and these small incremental gains. But it's like once you start giving away those little bits of money here, little bits of money there, that really piles up and you're slowly moving backward instead of slowly moving forward. So DFS is similar in that if you are giving away small edges, those pile up and you're now on the wrong side of that plus EV marker, plus expected value marker. Uh, Whereas if you are constantly grabbing every small edge that's available to you, you're going to constantly be on the plus side of that expected value line. So um, yeah, don't allow yourself to slip into that place where you are one of the players who is giving away small edges every week, where you're one of the players who is feeding money into the pool that the profitable players are taking money out of. Uh, Make sure you are continuing to put yourself in a position to be profitable, over time. Uh, Quick notes on this. Bink machine. So, if you're new here, or if you've been around all season and you have not been using the Bink machine, one of the things we've talked about a lot this year is the value of using an optimizer, even if you are a single entry or three max player. Uh, love the Bink machine on on OWS because it is extremely intuitive. I described it earlier this year as basically the Mac of optimizers, where you don't need. A lot of technical know-how. and You don't need to understand how all this stuff works nearly as well as you do in a lot of other optimizers, while still getting extremely sharp results. So, uh, obviously, we've seen you know every week, and you look in the slant uh, on DraftKings every single week. You're going to see anywhere from it's been anywhere from 10 to 30 OWS pennants in the top 100 of the slant week in and week out, and a lot of times, you know, last week it was 22 pennants in the top 100, and I think it was like 14 different users and almost all of those, maybe all of those are users who are using the bink machine to do their MME play. Shout out to Felix Carr. He's not the only one who I've been seeing up there every week, but Felix Carr, uh, you see him on DraftKings. He's been playing MME for seven weeks and he's been, he's had three different weeks where he had a roster finish in the top 10 of the slant. And so uh, there's certainly that component of like, if you, I'll say it like this, when I started playing some of you have heard me say this already, but when I started playing MME for the first time last year, uh, and there was a lot of people who used to tell me like, you should really play MME. And I was like, no, 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 that's not my thing. Uh, when I started playing it last year, Roto Maven, who's our our Aaron, our COO on OWS, he said to me, he was like, man, I'm really excited you're playing MME because you're so well-equipped to be profitable in MME. And he said, if the OWS community was, if we had more MME players, we would be absolutely dominating the leaderboards. And he, And he said to me at the time, you know, if you start playing more MME, more OWS users will start playing MME and they'll start seeing how big their edge is in MME. And we've seen that this year. It was really cool to be able to add work with FTN to add the Bink Machine to the site this year. And uh so many of you have been taking advantage of that. And so whether it's for single entry, three max play, where you're saying, Hey, I'm gonna build a bunch of rosters and shop through them and be able to just find my, my sharpest rosters from the week, or if it's like, hey, I'm gonna build this and, and attack the flea flicker, which is the five dollar. 150 max contest or the slant, which is a $9, 150 max contest. And there are cheaper contests than that that you can attack as well. Whatever the case is, uh, just a huge edge if you're an OWS member in hitting that um, MME play. So uh, if you're looking for kind of a way to take advantage of, hey, what's my edge the rest of the season? Last year, it was week nine that I started doing MME. So heading into week 10, definitely not too late to start getting a handle on that, getting a grasp of that. Uh, we have dropped the Bink Machine to $79. For the rest of the year. So uh, that includes playoffs. So that's basically three months, uh, or you can play, pay month to month 40 bucks, or uh by a week pass for $19. But um recommended to just do the the $79. Uh just drop the price on that this week. Uh, other thing I want to mention is we are, we just did our first price drop on props insider. So uh Pretty interesting right we've got 71 spots remaining again keeping limited spots in order to protect our users from from basically from their bets being front run by sportsbooks um you know if we have too many members sportsbooks start paying attention they start moving lines when we drop our bets you guys aren't able to get the bets what's interesting here is if this number right here said twelve thousand probably all these spots would be gone because people tend to react in a FOMO manner. You see it in investing, you see it in DFS. uh, You see it in here in Props Insider, where whenever we have these, like last year, first two weeks of NBA season, we picked up $2,500 in profit. And we were selling uh, Props Insider spots like crazy during that time because people were like, oh, everybody's making money, I've got to get in here. Uh, This year, NBA tipped off and we were sitting at about $10,000 in profit from, MLB and NFL to date and tennis and golf and everything leading up to NBA season. Uh, and now, you know, we're a couple of weeks into NBA and we're still sitting at $10,000 in profit. So there hasn't been this FOMO run of people saying, oh, I've got to get this because everybody's making money. Obviously, you zoom out, the time to buy things is before the FOMO run. Uh, we had times last year during NBA season where we kind of bounced between $4,000 and $5,000 in profit for like a month and a half, or might've even been two months, and all of a sudden, like a week later, it was up at like 6,500 in profit. That's the way props work, is you keep putting positive samples into the bucket, and eventually you have those hot streaks where everything comes together and you make a bunch of money. So better to get in before one of the hot streaks then after the hot streaks, uh, Props Insider now $799. This carries you through the rest of NBA season. And last year, we made over $9,000 in profit in NBA season alone. Uh, Monthly is still $150, but this goes, you keep paying every month. And then basically, you end up paying the full amount and it pays for the whole season. Does that make sense? Um, So you pay monthly, but if you keep renewing each month, uh, your last payment is in April, and then you'll still have the rest of April's props available to you. You'll have all of May's props available to you, June's props available to you. And that will cover MLB and NBA at that time of year. So um, basically, yeah, you know, you end up paying, uh, we've got the discount code props that takes $52 off the first month. So you pay a little bit more, you pay about $848 instead of $799. And that's if you keep renewing each month. Uh, but again, that covers you for the entire nba season you'll stop your your last payment will be in april uh also drop the props pick package down to 149 for the rest of the year so um yeah want to encourage you if if you're looking for those edges looking for ways to make some extra money uh props insider hop in there right because these spots we're going to have one of these stretches where the uh the numbers are no longer saying ten thousand dollars in profit which already pretty crazy that we've made $10,000 in profit. Anybody who's been in Props Insider since the beginning this year, but uh, eventually it's not going to say $10,000 anymore, right? It might trickle down to 9,700 and might bump back up to 10,400 and kind of stay in this range for a few more days, a few more weeks, who knows? But there's going to be one of those stretches where all of a sudden it says 11.5K or 12.5K. Smart to get in before that happens, as opposed to waiting for that to happen and then saying, oh, I should jump in on this. Uh, okay, so let's talk about this particular week. It's a very interesting week, and I'll I'll start out. I have not written the player grid yet, but I have structured the player grid, kind of put, put everything together, uh, sort of a weird, actually a weird uh, day and a half on my end. Those of you who have been around OWS for a long time, you know that my wife, Abby, deals with hemiplegic migraines. Uh, she had not had one for three and a half months, uh, then had one yesterday had another one this morning so uh, kind of piecing my work around uh, double double duty with the kids and and cleaning and prepping food and uh, and you know all that and doing my work. Um, then also last night my wife made a joke to my four-year-old son, about coming upstairs and uh, sleeping in bed with her, but then he got kind of excited about it. So I had a sleepover with my son last night on top of all that. So uh, with that said, have not read up the, the player grid yet, but have, I've put it all together and it'll still be up at the normal time today, but uh, put it all together. And what's interesting about this week is if you're unfamiliar with the player grid, the player grid is my player pool, putting it out there for subscribers every week. And typically the sections in the uh, player grid are blue chip plays, light blue chip plays, which is blue chips that aren't totally blue chips, but they're kind of up in that range. Build arounds, which is the teams or game environments that I'm wanting to build around. Uh, and then building blocks, which is uh, taking some of the pieces there just showing some of the unique ways I going to be, be putting things together or how I want to structure my rosters that week. And then bonus plays. So the bonus plays are the ones that aren't blue chips, and they're not light blue chips, and they don't fit into the build around category, the game environments and teams I'm building around so that the bonus plays. Well, on this particular week, my player grid is going to have no blue chips. It's going to have no light blue chips. So it's all build-arounds and bonus plays. And that's not unusual. It's not unusual as we get to this point in the season when pricing gets a little bit more efficient. It's harder to find those pricing inefficiencies where, where guys are just clearly, clearly mispriced and a lot of teams are banged up, players are banged up. Uh, we It's not unusual to get to this point in the season and not have any blue chip plays uh, or even any light blue chips. But what's interesting about this week is in addition to not really having any blue chips or light blue chips, there are some game environments that can end up significantly outperforming the other games on the slate. So let's talk about last week, week nine. One of the things I said said last week was that everything was really clumped up. and, And what we wanted to look for were the games Teams or players that could really separate from the pack. And we saw that last week where uh, Uticao with uh, uh, Stroud plus three Texans pass catchers build put up like 250 points in one one tournament I looked at. He had 250 points in first place. And I think second place in that tournament was 240 points. And then there was maybe like one or two rosters north of 230. And then like, and then very quickly in like this large field tournament, you got down to all the rest of the rosters were below 200 points. So in other words, you found that one spot that really separated from the pack and you're sitting up here at 250 points and like 99% of the tournament, it's not one of these weeks where you score 250 because, because a bunch of rosters are scoring 240, 250 points. It's like you score 250, and then 99% of the tournament field is scoring under 200 points. Uh, this week is not quite like that. It's not like oh, everything's really bunched up, and so what separates? But there are. It's like there's no one-off plays that I see that really separate as like oh, this one's way sharper than the other plays priced around it. But there are multiple game environments that could end up significantly outperforming, you know, implied expectations based on Vegas over-unders, implied team totals, all that. uh, And that could significantly outperform price tags on these players. So uh, really a fun week where, you know, we've had weeks like this in the past where it's like, there's no blue chips in my player grid. There are no light blue chips in my player grid. And then it's still kind of a normal week where, yeah, you're going to Pay attention to some games and teams because, you know, that's one of the avenues for winning tournaments in DFS, but like maybe no game or team really stands out in the pack. And uh, so then you just kind of have like a group of bonus plays that you have to pick amongst to put together your rosters. Whereas this week, it's like, man, there's some games that could end up being really exciting and there aren't really these one-off plays that that I'm super worried about. So uh, that is how I am seeing the week this week Uh, as always. And obviously you should mix in my thoughts with what you're seeing. So you shouldn't just take my thoughts and say, Oh, okay, this is the way that the slate shapes up. You should take my thoughts and say, okay, here's another piece of thoughts that I can include into the way I'm seeing the slate and what else I've read and what else I've heard and how other sharp people are seeing the slate. But uh, the way that I see it is, uh, no real one-off plays that I'm prioritizing. I'm not starting any rosters with, okay, I want to start with this one-off play or this one-off play. Uh, instead, it's going to be like, hey, I'm going to start with this game environment or I'm going to start with this game environment. So contrast that with last week where you know I had over 30% Dak Prescott, but I had 77% CD lamb on my rosters last week. I had, didn't, didn't end up working out this other one, but I had 64% Jonathan Taylor last week. Right. So these are guys who, yes, I had CD lamb with some stacks, but also just as a one-off play, it was like, okay, a lot of my rosters are going to use this as a starting point. And I've had other weeks like that this year where uh, whether it's you know like a Tank Dell type thing or uh, Adam Thielen at 3,900 type thing where it's like, oh, this guy's really underpriced or this guy's in a really great spot. And so I'm going to be dramatically overweight the field on this one-off player. And this is kind of part of the core thesis of how I'm building for this particular week. Uh, I don't have that this week. What I have instead is some game environments that are very central to my core thesis. So uh, you will see the player grid. will have kind of a unique structure this week. Uh, And then I'm going to talk, I'm going to talk real quickly about what I'm seeing at running back I'm seeing at wide receiver which is not too different from what I've already said I'm going to touch on a few of the game environments that are standing out to me and some interesting angles and numbers on those and obviously uh, we'll dive a lot deeper into all of that in the player grid this week Uh, and then we'll hit the bottom up build where I will take take a look at one additional game environment that will not be mentioned um before that and we'll we'll touch on that one when we get to the bottom up build uh so running backs uh, two, so Tuesday night, I decided to go and, and do like a practice run on the in the Bink machine and essentially create my player pool and then build some rosters, see if I spotted any rules that I wanted to add at that point. Um, and just kind of like have that extra run so that I had some extra thoughts in my mind heading into the week. I ended up narrowing down my player pool to three running backs. And it was either... Bijan Robinson, Joe Mixon, and Travis Etienne, or Bijan Robinson, Joe Mixon, and Christian McCaffrey, or maybe it wasn't Bijan Robinson, maybe it was Aaron Jones, or maybe it wasn't Joe Mixon, I think it was Joe Mixon, maybe it was Aaron Jones. And that's kind of the point, right? Is like, at that point in the week, it was like, I could actually narrow my pool as small as three running backs. But then also, I could expand my like, even now, I'm like, I don't know if it was ETN or CMC, I don't know if it was Bijan or Aaron Jones or Joe Mixon. So you could basically have this really small running back pool because nothing really separates. And so you could be like, Hey, what if these three of the guys who hit, you could also have a, a much broader running back pool because nothing really separates. So, uh, Right now, my running back list is kind of between eight and nine running backs out of 20 teams on the slate. So again, there's just nothing really separates. What is most interesting to me is it would not be surprising if not a single running back on this slate goes for 4X their salary. So uh, Christian McCaffrey, 9.2K, right? Would not be surprising if he does not go for 36.8 DraftKings points. Austin Eckler... 8.4 8.4 K. It would not be surprising if he doesn't go for 33.6 DraftKings points. Uh, Tony Pollard, 7,300, right? He's his best game of the year is 22 DraftKings points. Uh, Eckler's best game of the year is 29 DraftKings points. So kind of on down the list, it really won't be that surprising if this ends up being a week where no running backs end up putting up you know, uh, uh, a salary multiplier that that you would call a tournament winning score. So that kind of brings it down to, well, if that's the case for the 6K guys, right? And then there are some 6K, like Aaron Jones could go for 20 plus, Bajon Robinson could go for 20 plus, Uh, Joe Mixon, the usage is there for him to go for 20 plus. So those are kind of the guys who actually could go for X. But if those guys all end up in kind of the 16 to 17 point range, and one of the expensive guys, the, the Austin Eckler, Christian McCaffrey ends up putting up 27 28 points and that's not really what you want at their salary but that can end up being quite a separator at the running back position and as we've talked about throughout the season and as we continue to see i mean uh, Noah Brown was my fourth highest like dollar investment at wide receiver last week and he put up over 30 points at 3100 uh we had the, the two tank dell weeks we had the uh two adam thielen weeks we've had Rashid Shaheed put up 27 points. Like uh, Josh Downs had some big games when he was priced down there. So like every week there are opportunities or almost every week there are opportunities to get 20 to 25 to even 30 point scores from cheaper guys. So then if a running back does put up 25 plus and really separates from the pack, uh it doesn't matter that much what you paid for him because you can kind of make up for that for that salary in other spots and that raw point that raw score can actually uh, make quite a difference. So uh, some of the interesting things to think about at running back this week, uh, again, pretty bunched up. You could end up with a pretty large pool and justify that. uh, And like we could reasonably see no running backs going for more than four X their salary. And so then it just becomes, you know, which running backs have the best shot at separating, which running backs have the best shot at putting up a tournament winner and, or which running backs have the best shot at putting up a large raw score Uh, at wide receiver a large chunk of each of my rosters this week will be taken up with game focused bets. So uh, anywhere from three to five players out of my eight on any given roster this week is going to be a game environment bet. So that might mean a quarterback and two pass catchers or a quarterback and his running back and a pass catcher and a bring back, or it could mean a quarterback and one pass catcher and a bring back. It could mean a quarterback and two or even three pass catchers and one or two bringbacks. So uh, a lot of my roster spots will be taken up with my game environment bets. Every roster of mine, I expect at this point, will have at minimum three players from a game or you know, team or game environment. Uh, in other words, I won't have any of these. I don't expect to have any of these where it's like just the quarterback and his pass catcher and no bring back, you know, and then my six other non-defense spots are kind of taken up with one-offs or secondary stacks. I don't expect to have that this week. I expect at minimum three spots on every roster to be accounted for with a team or game environment bet. And as many as five, maybe even six in in a spot or two. Uh, so because of that, I don't need as many one-offs, but then again, there's... I'm not seeing much that separates this one off from this one off from this one off from this one off. And so uh, my wide receiver pool, same type of thing, Uh, lots of viables, but nothing that really separates from the bunch. So what I will probably have is concentrated ownership on my favorite game environments, my favorite teams, my favorite stacks, Uh, obviously mixed and matched different ways. So it might be, uh, you know, this offense I've got, uh, sorry, uh, checking to make sure I was still recording because I pushed a button on my keyboard. (laughs) Um, uh, This, this offense, I might have, you know, mixed and matched four different ways, five different ways, six different ways. But again, it's like, I might have 50 rosters out of 150 built around this offense or 60 rosters out of 150 built around this offense. And so then, you know, they're built different ways. And then I'm also able to mix and match different one-off pieces around there. So kind of give myself that opportunity to say, you know what, nothing really separates at wide receiver among this group of solid one-off plays. And so rather than trying to go out of my way to place a heavy bet on one of these guys, I'll place a heavy bet on my favorite teams and games and then mix and match pieces around that. Uh, Moving on to the game environments. So Uh, I'll touch on one somewhat deeply here. I'll touch on two a bit more quickly, and then we will get to the bottom-up build where, where I will touch on a fourth. These are not all the game environments that can be considered this week. There are others than these four. So again, that's what makes this week pretty interesting is it is a week where betting on game environments is viable and interesting, and there's a lot of upside in doing so. And uh, that's the way that I'm going to be attacking this week. All right. If you were listening on the podcast feed instead of watching, that was me taking a drink of water. We now do this via video, so there is no pausing this to take a little water break. Um, Okay. So the first game I'm going to talk about is this 49ers and Jags game. And this is kind of an interesting... it's, It's a little bit similar to dallas and philadelphia last week in that both not totally similar because the philadelphia defense hasn't been that great this year but both those teams have solid defenses but both teams have really good aggressive explosive offenses and so when that's the case a you know that both teams are going to enter the game I touched on this a number of times throughout the season, but uh, the quarterbacks documentary that was on Netflix this summer, and there was a, one of the things that really stood out to me, and that was uh, Patrick Mahomes talking before he played uh, Tom Brady in the Bucks last year and saying that when you play a quarterback like Tom Brady, uh, when you play a team like that Bucks team, you go in, essentially you go in with a game plan of keeping your foot on the gas because you know that no lead is safe. And so that something I've talked about since the summer, but it's, it's also something that I really paid attention to this year in terms of letting go of matchup in certain spots. And instead saying, what is the, you know, that's why we pay such close attention to coaches on OWS is because we do want to think about how is this coach, how is this team going to try to win this particular game? And that's one of those little cheat codes we can look for is, okay, when you're playing an aggressive opponent, you are going to be more aggressive minded yourself. So we should very much expect both San Francisco and Jacksonville to enter this game saying, we probably need to score points we probably need to be aggressive when we have the ball and that can reach a point where it ends up not mattering how good the defenses are because both teams kind of they're a really good on offense but b kind of keep knocking on the door trying to hit those big plays uh also stands out to me, is so Jacksonville, top five in defensive DVOA, top five in DVOA against the run, top five in DVOA against the pass, top five in fewest, uh, lowest EPA allowed per play. And yet, A, they really haven't played that many good offenses, and B, they gave up 37 points to the Texans in Jacksonville. Why do I bring that up? Well, because the Texans, uh, similar to the 49ers, they uh, have this sort of space creating scheme and what are the Jags good at? Well, they're good at stopping the run and they're really good in the secondary at playing tight coverage and closing in on the ball quickly. But, they don't have a good pass rush. Josh Allen has had a good year, and he's really the lone guy on that defensive line. And so, you know, really the best defenses are able to marry the pass rush with the coverage. Uh, typically the coverage matters less against this Shanahan type scheme. So whether that's Mike McDaniel with the Dolphins or Bobby Slowick with the Texans or Kyle Shanahan himself with the 49ers. Uh, I've described it in the past as the 49ers scheme is basically every play is a run play, in that every play is designed to get the ball to somebody in space with room to run after the catch. And if you look at uh, yards of separation per target, like every year, Shanahan and Shanahan disciples, their pass catchers are going to have the most yards uh, at the target point in the NFL. So uh, it's a great spot for the 49ers in terms of, yeah, not a, not a, soft defense that they're playing but if there is a team that can do really well against this jags defense it would be a team like the 49ers because of what the jags are good at what the 49ers are good at and again we saw it with the texans we saw it with bobby slowick he was able to go in there and, and scheme guys open and, and get this space for his pass catchers uh, on top of that you know the 49ers are coming off of a buy and then coming off of three losses before that so it's easy for people to forget that before those three games all three of which the 49ers scored under 30 points, all three of which Trent Williams was missing as well. He's trending toward playing this week. Uh, But before that, the 49ers had scored 30 plus points in 10 out of 11 Brock Purdy starts in the regular season. So coming off the bye, uh, going against this Jags defense that gave up 37 points to the Texans, a pretty decent chance that we get another 30 point game here from the 49ers. And I'm willing to, I'm willing to lose placing that bet in other words uh, I'm, I'm willing to have a heavy chunk of my rosters built around this 49ers offense and say you know if they end up putting up 23 points and nobody puts up a big game on the 49ers uh i'm okay having a chunk of my rosters losing because of that because the upside in the spot is high and then on top of that we always want to look for ways to turn the math in our favor well if you are getting this 49ers game right uh there's so much that you can be getting right. So. Uh, 49ers have played eight games this year. And this is pretty wild, especially you know, you go through the numbers for all the teams, which we won't do, but uh, 49ers have played eight games this year. They have had five games in which Purdy plus the right stacking partner has kept you on 190 plus point pace, anywhere from 188 up to 228 point pace by getting Purdy and the right guy. So uh, one time it was Christian McCaffrey and Ayuk, one time it was Uh, just Debo. One time it was Christian McCaffrey and I again, another time it was just Kittle. And then it was Christian McCaffrey plus Kittle. So again, there's different stacks that you would have to mix and match and put together to find the one that ends up hitting. But if the 49ers hit for a nice game, Purdy plus one of his pass catchers or Purdy plus CMC plus one of his pass catchers is probably keeping you on a 200 plus point pace. So uh, really like this spot this week. And couple final notes here. So one, Christian McCaffrey, he's cracked 26 points three times this year. In all three of those games, Purdy plus a pass catcher would have kept you on a 200 plus point pace. Makes a lot of sense because uh talked about this earlier on Pete Oversett's show, but uh, this is not Christian McCaffrey on the Panthers. This is not Christian McCaffrey getting 10 to 14 targets. Christian McCaffrey's averaging, I think it was, uh, did these numbers last night, but I think it was 17.1 carries per game. 4.6 targets per game. So that's you know just basic mid-range running back usage. So Christian McCaffrey isn't putting up big scores because of this monster usage where it's like, man, Christian McCaffrey's on this bad Panthers team. Who cares? He gets, his bad game is eight targets and he gets 10 to 14 targets most games. He's putting up 30 to 40 points every single game. Uh, that's not the case with the 49ers. And his average score with the 49ers has been lower than it was with the Panthers, even though he's on a better offense. Because he's on a better offense with better weapons, so he's less central to the offense as a whole. So when Christian McCaffrey is hitting for 26-plus points, when he is going for 28, 29, that 51-pointer that he had against Arizona earlier this year, it's as a result of all of the touchdowns that he's scoring. And in order to get those touchdowns, he needs the 49ers offense as a whole to be having a good game. So typically, the field looks to play Christian McCaffrey as a one-off. And when Christian McCaffrey has actually hit for the score that the field would want him to have, it has also meant that Purdy plus a pass catcher has been the way to play Christian McCaffrey. So uh, I'm going to take advantage of that this week by most of my Christian McCaffrey is going to be paired with Purdy and a pass catcher. I will be mixing and matching there. I expect to be mixing and matching that game a lot of different ways. Uh, Second interesting note here is the five times that you could have played a 49ers piece and been kind of on a 200 plus point pace. Uh, Three of those five times, there was no viable bring back because the 49ers can have these games where they win 30 to 12 or 40 to 10. And those are two actual scores from them this year, I believe. But uh they can have those games like that where they really just kind of dominate the game. Uh Jags are like a fringe Super Bowl contender. They're a definite playoff team. They're a fringe Super Bowl contender. They're one of those teams that uh, you put them on a neutral field against the top teams in the NFL and they're not going to be favored, but you know, they play. A three four games stretch against those teams in the playoffs and they could go on a little run and beat three or four good teams in a row in other words the jags are a really good team they probably won't this probably won't be one of those like 49ers stop type games but it's interesting because that is part of the package is you could get one of those games and you could play the 49ers with no bring back which will be really unique um again at the same time i would lean toward bring backs in this spot so you know, only 40% two out of these five games has a bring back been viable against the 49ers, but I will probably be more like 60 to 65, maybe even 70% of my 49ers rosters have a Jags bring back. Uh, also in large field play, I'm sure I'll have some Trevor Lawrence to balance off of the party that I will have. Um, so yeah, that's, that's that that is that game environment, just a really interesting game environment and one that i will be leaning into this week uh two that i'll touch on real quickly detroit at the chargers is one of those where detroit has a good defense uh detroit likes to run the ball but would it shock would it shock us if the Chargers are able to find a way to put up points would it shock us if the lions score quickly right the lions are not conservative but they're not they're not looking they're not hunting for splash plays play in and play out and yet They have Jameson Williams, right? Would it shock you if Jameson Williams sees four targets and catches two passes for 95 yards and a touchdown? But that happens maybe early in the game, and all of a sudden this game opens up and becomes a little bit more back and forth. Uh, So that's another really interesting game environment where if if you looked at scores on Sunday, maybe didn't watch games all day, and then open up your app on Sunday night, NFL app, which is the worst app ever made, uh, NFL app or ESPN app, whatever you look at, you look at scores, and you see 37 to 30 Lions and Chargers. Would that surprise you? Probably would uh, You wouldn't say, whoa, this is crazy. This game ended up this way. So uh, that's another game that is really interesting. I'll dig into that a little bit more deeply in the player grid and how I will be attacking that game. Uh, and then another one, Arizona against Atlanta. I think gaining a little bit of steam now that we know Kyler Murray is playing. News has come out early enough for people to adjust. It's not like he's going to be sneaky. But uh, looking through you know, I've used this example today on, on a couple other shows, but um, just to put into context, Kyler Murray, who he is as a quarterback, as a DFS quarterback, as a fantasy quarterback um, last year, by far his, his worst year. And, you know, got, got Cliff Kingsbury fired and led to the Cardinals being like, is Kyler Murray our quarterback of the future? And, you know, this year, the story is like, we really got to get a look at him because it's a, a, you know, new regime, new coaching staff. And um, it's like, we might not want Kyler Murray, but let's get him on the field and see what he looks like in this offense. Well, that's, that's piggybacking off of the way he looked in that 2022 season. Uh, if, if he had been coming off the 2021 season, they would be like, Hey, we have our franchise quarterback uh, 2020 season. We have our franchise quarterback. So even last year in that, in that season, uh, four out of 10 games, he would have kept you on a four X pace at his salary, four out of 10 games. So to put that into context, Brock Purdy stands out head and shoulders above everybody else kind of priced in this uh, high 5K, low 6K price range because he's done it five out of 14 games since he's become the starter. That's a lower pace than Kyler Murray last year in 10 games. Uh, Geno Smith, five out of 25 games since the start of last year that he would have hit a four X pace or higher. Typically Gino Smith is hitting the three X score, the 16, 17, 18 point game. And that's as far up as he goes. So when you look at Gino five out of 25 games and Kyler Murray, four out of 10 games really stands out what Kyler Murray is capable of doing. Uh, also he was running less last year and the year before. So it's not as if him coming back from the ACL, uh, Maybe he runs a little bit less and is like, oh, well, then you don't get as much value. Realistically, Kyler Murray has been trying to transform himself into a pocket passer, still sometimes runs close to the goal line, picks up five, six rushes per game. Typically, uh, that's not where he derives as much of his value as he did a few years ago when he was kind of a part of that cheat code class of quarterback. So uh, that's the upside. The downside, obviously, first game in a year probably going to show some rust first game on this reconstructed knee. So uh, could take him a little while to get used to that first game in this new offense, which we have not seen him in yet, but uh, Kyler Murray definitely interesting and definitely has potential to be one of the more underpriced plays on the slate. So I'll say it like this. If in three weeks, Kyler Murray is priced over seven K, would you be particularly surprised Probably not. So uh, being able to get him sub 6K, definitely intriguing. And piggybacking off of that, it's not just, oh, Kyler Murray could have a, a good game here, but we can then think about the game environment as a whole. If Kyler Murray is putting up you know a 28, 29-point game, well, all of his core weapons are really inexpensive. Michael Wilson, uh, Hollywood Brown, Trey McBride. So all of those guys will be popular, obviously. Uh, Hollywood and Trey McBride at the top. And then uh, Michael Wilson getting some level of attention, assuming he plays this week, he's questionable right now. But, um, but those are people kind of thinking more one-off type plays. So you pile that in with a Kyler stack. And then you also say, man, it's easy to score points against Arizona. If Arizona is actually pushing the pace, if Arizona is actually putting up 27 points, 30 points, well, Doesn't Atlanta have a shot at putting up a game like that as well? So bringing that back with a Drake London, bringing that back with a Bajan Robinson becomes a really interesting way to build. Okay, Uh, with that, let's get to the bottom-up build, and then we will get out of here, and I will get to writing the player grid. Uh, Bottom-up build, if you're new here, this started several years ago uh, with the concept of one of the big mistakes a lot of DFS players make. They start at the top of the player pricing range. They see the studs that they really want to play. You build a roster and then you've got X amount of money left at a particular spot. And you start looking at the options and coming up with reasons why, oh, this guy could hit because of this, this, and this. uh, maybe this guy could hit and you end up with just this really bad salary saver that you wouldn't actually choose to play otherwise. Uh, what we started doing then was doing a bottom-up build where we would start from the bottom. And basically the first time you hit a player where you're like, oh, I can actually really see playing this guy, I really like this guy, uh, put him on a roster. So this allowed us to get a sense of what, what salary savers looked like on that week and how much there was in terms of available salary savers. Uh, that developed into us using the bottom-up build uh, to talk more about strategy and theory. And we did that by saying, let's just set a salary cap, a 44K salary cap, and allow us to talk like, not just who are some of the salary savers, but also what are some of the strategy angles you would you would play in building a roster? Uh, that aspect has been de-emphasized over the last couple of years because we launched Inner Circle where we focus on strategy and training week in and week out. And uh, again, that's why we see so many OWS pennants at the tops of the leaderboards that are almost all Inner Circle members because every week they are learning about DFS and how to become better DFS players. Uh, shout out to the Inner Circle fam for that. Uh, so we talk a little bit less about strategy and theory here, but we do now have a 44K salary cap contest called the bottom-up build. So you can find that in Discord in the bottom-up build channel, or you can find it linked in my player grid. Rules are simple. You got to play 44K or less salary cap. Uh, Also have to use an OWS avatar in order to be eligible to win prizes. The prizes are, uh, first place is $250 worth of free courses on OWS. I think second place is $150, and then like on down to fifth place, top five get paid out. Uh, Special Discord color for winners. So Everybody knows you are a bottom-up build winner. With that, let's go ahead and take a look at one last game environment that I want to touch on. And that is Washington at Seattle. I don't even have actually the um, the numbers written down. So let me check this real quickly. We are now at one, two, three, four games out of nine this year. This is wild. Four games out of nine this year in which Philadelphia and their opponent have combined for 60 plus points. Uh, we also have one, two, three, four, five out of nine games in which Washington's opponent has scored. Thirty plus points. Uh, we also know that Seattle can enter into these shootouts. Why does Seattle enter into these shootouts? Because they are capable of scoring points with anybody, but they are never going to be the team that pushes the envelope. I will not belabor that point because it, it, many of you have been on OWS for five or more years, and you have heard me talk for five or more years about never play Seattle pass catchers unless you are also playing pieces from the other side of the game. Because Seattle philosophically, Pete Carroll believes that you win games in the fourth quarter, and this is why you don't see Seattle open things up in the first quarter, the second quarter, and just try to score as many points as they can as quickly as possible. Uh, Instead, you kind of see them manage their games. But if an opponent is scoring points, then Seattle responds, and they almost always keep uh, keep those games close, where uh, if the opponent is scoring, Seattle ends up scoring quite a few points as well. Sam Howell is, you know, I said this every week, but one of the most exciting quarterbacks in football, it was, I think it was in the Angles email this week. Maybe it was somewhere else, but I likened the Sam Howell situation to Josh Allen in in 2018. So uh, to be clear, not comparing Sam Howell to Josh Allen, but Josh Allen in 2018, where he started out the season, I think at this point in the season, he had like two touchdown passes and five interceptions and everyone had already laughed at the bills for drafting this guy from Wyoming who, who wasn't accurate drafting him seventh overall. And uh, then he just confirmed everybody's biases that he was not a good NFL quarterback Uh, then took a little injury, spent some time with Brian Dable, figuring things out, came back, put up a big game. I think it was against the Jags was his first game, really good Jags defense at that point. And everybody kind of ignored it. And it was like, Oh, that's a fluke. Next week I played a little bit of Josh Allen and he put up another big game. And then I started watching those it's like, Oh, let me go back and watch both of these games. And, and it was like, Oh my gosh, this Brian Dable offense is really creative. And we started talking about it constantly. And like, that's all we did on OWS the last five weeks of that 2018 season was play Josh Allen, play Josh Allen, play Josh Allen. And uh, you know, kept putting up solid scores and then keeping you on pace for tournament wins in week 17 uh Josh Allen plus whoever it was the right stacking partners put up like 6 6x salary multiplier like 80 points at 13k in total salary so I say that because, like, at that time, what we kept saying at the time was literally nobody. One of the reasons why we want to keep playing Josh Allen is not because this, not just because the ceiling's so high, but because literally nobody watches Bills games. So this is going back in the time machine, right? But in 2018, Bills games were like always in the 1 p.m. Eastern slot, and they were never, you know, like the national game of the week. And nobody's going out of their way to watch Bills games. So they look at the box score, they see this big game from Josh Allen, and they just think, it's a fluke. Uh, Sam Howell is sort of the same type of situation where you take away his turnover worthy plays and he like grades out as one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, you take out the sacks and, you know, holding on to the ball too long, which they've done a lot better job the last couple of weeks of let's get the ball out quickly. Let's design the offense, to get the ball out more quickly. I think he's taken two sacks the last, the last two weeks or three sacks the last two weeks. Uh, so cleaning that up quite a bit. And it's just a very exciting quarterback, very exciting offense. And I've said this, I've been saying this for a month now. And those of you who have been around OWS have continued to hear me say this. But uh, Sam hell, anybody who knows the NFL well, who watches all the teams, and anybody who knows the commanders really well, you know, local media, uh, you hear the same thing constantly is, man. Washington might have found their quarterback of the future. Sam Howell is really good. You take away these turnover-worthy plays. You take away these little mistakes he makes. Like, the rest of the time, he's really exciting. He's really aggressive. He's really good. Uh, Okay, so... 325 yards passing last week at new england by the way 397 the week before that he had 388 in week five against chicago he had 290 in week four against philly he had 299 in week two against denver so uh consistently putting up these big scores 14 passing touchdowns uh get some rushing yards uh one rushing touchdown has opportunities for more of those on the year so uh sam howell uh, and Then on top of all that, Washington, you know, third highest pass rate over expectation in the NFL, miles ahead of, you know, the teams that rank fourth and below. So they throw the ball a ton. They're good at throwing the ball. They're aggressive. They've got good weapons. And if they are scoring points, then Seattle is going to be responding in kind. So I know that Geno Smith is getting a lot of traction this week, a lot of ownership, attention, Um Nothing against Geno Smith. You want to play Geno Smith? Play Geno Smith. The way I'm approaching things is if Geno Smith hits, then Sam Howell is probably hitting at a higher level. Because if Geno Smith hits, it's as a result of Washington creating a game environment where Gino has to hit. Again, Gino has hit for 4x his salary only five times since the start of last year. So um not to say that he can't do it. Uh, I think he has one game of 30 plus points, maybe not even that. But uh Sam Howell, definitely one of the guys I like. And this game environment, one of the ones that I like, because when you have a team that is going to throw the ball, that wants to throw the ball, uh, and then if they're able to get that going, and then you know that Seattle is able to keep these games close against this bad Washington pass defense, just opens up a lot of opportunity. So, uh, Sam Howell, let me see if I can find these numbers in my notes. Let me pause this podcast. Um, Okay. So, uh, Sam Howell plus uh, Curtis Samuel plus Terry McLaurin had a game where they kept you on a 194 point pace. Sam Howell plus Curtis Samuel plus Logan Thomas had a game where they kept you on a 256 point pace. Sam Howell plus Jahan Dotson plus Logan Thomas had a game where they kept you on a 269. Point pace on a week in which there are not many one offs that look like they are capable of keeping you on a 200 point pace. Pretty cool that there's a, you know, the commanders have shown a two and nine shot this year of keeping you on a 250 plus point pace if you get Sam Howell with the right two player pairing. Knock out three spots on your roster at once. You still have a lot of salary left over with this. Uh, clear opportunity for a bringback because if Washington is putting up a big game against Seattle, then Seattle is going to respond in kind uh, in such a way that probably one of these pass catchers on Seattle ends up putting up a really nice game. So uh, really like this setup, really fun place to attack. Um, And let me, uh, I guess I'll wrap this portion up with Sam. Howell was my highest owned quarterback in week eight. He put up 35 points that week uh, at a price tag of only 5,200. That's pretty nuts. Sam Howell was my highest or maybe second highest owned quarterback in week seven. He put up 10.5 points at a price tag of 5,500. So there's a broad range of outcomes here, right? He has that, that bad game in a four point game against Buffalo, you know, every other game this year, he's scored 17 plus. So really, I mean, you know, he's pretty reliable this year on top of all that, but just to say there is a broad range of outcomes on Sam Howell, but I'm willing to take on that broad range of outcomes for the ceiling and for how high the ceiling can go if you get the right stacking partners, which if you're doing MME, you will get the right stacking partners because you'll mix and match in different ways and uh, end up getting that right in one of those spots. Um, and and also for the fact that you know you get the bring back as well. So you know, good shot at getting four spots on your roster correct at a really high level on a week where there might not be a lot of high level scores. So uh, this bottom up build starts with Sam Howell, Terry McLaurin, Logan Thomas, and Jackson Smith and Jigba. We still don't know Curtis Samuels situation how much he'll play if he'll play this week um Jahan dotson will play he missed a missed a day of practice this week for a personal matter but no injury situation with him so um kind of narrows things down potentially in in who we're targeting here in this stack but uh for this purpose for the purposes of this which we're building on friday sam howell plus terry mclaurin uh plus logan thomas with jackson smith and jigba as the bringback back running back, not really much to talk about here. Um, you know, in the player grid, we'll get into my running back pool, but I'm going to throw Bajan Robinson and Rashad White on here. Again, both just in this bucket of guys who, um, you know, probably don't go for forex their salary, but they're going to have a decent floor. Uh, Bajan Robinson, easy to forget that three of his first three of his first four games, he put up 20 plus DraftKings points playing against Arizona. So uh good shot at a game like that. And then Rashad White, just the usage is obviously such a high level that uh, he has a shot at a nice game. Uh, Could have gone Mixon here. Could have gone Aaron Jones. Uh, Could have gone a variety of different ways. But uh, bottom-up build, trying to save some salary. We're going to go Bajon Robinson and Rashad White. Opposite Bajon Robinson, I'm going to uh, throw Michael Wilson in there. Michael Wilson averaging 8.6 pre-touchdown PPR points per game. As we know, you cut that number in half and that's a pretty good place for a player's salary. So 8.6, cut that in half. His salary really should be kind of like 4.2, 4.3 K, even 4.4 to 4.5 K. So in this like 4.2 to 4.5 K range is really where Michael Wilson should be priced. And then that comes against the backdrop of this was all with Josh Dobbs. And now Kyler Murray is going to be the starting quarterback. So, uh, He's underpriced, even if Josh Dobbs was under center. You can't run against Atlanta. You can pass against Atlanta. So uh, Michael Wilson at 3,500 goes onto this roster. Really interesting play. Uh, and then Rashid Shahid, who I got to tell you guys, Rashid Shahid coming in at sub, I think a sub 1% projected ownership. You know, Friday morning is the first time that I look at ownership projections. So uh, again, looked this morning, but looked while also taking care of the kids and um, and all that fun stuff. So, uh, but I believe it was sub 1% that Rashid Shaheed Was coming in because why? Because he's 4,300 and doesn't see a lot of targets. Uh, let's not be so volume conscious here, okay? He has a 20 point game in week one, he has an 18.3 point game in week six, he has a 27.3 point game in week eight. So, uh, as a guy who's 4,300 is going to grab low ownership and is capable of putting up 20 plus points, what happens when he misses? Sure, yeah, he gets five points to seven points, and that's not great. But also, what's the upside when he hits? And that's what wins his tournaments is. What's the upside when he hits? So I'm not using Rashid Shahid as a staple piece and building around him because if you do that, you could have a bunch of rosters that are already behind. But since I'm going to have a bunch of game stacks where, hey, this game environment hits then I'm going to have the right pieces somewhere. Well, then mixing and matching some Rashid Shahid into those is really nice because if he ends up putting up one of his 20-pointers, that just really separates you from the field on this particular week. So uh, Rashid Shahid goes on here. That leaves enough salary for the Dallas Cowboys defense. Not much that needs to be talked about there. Obviously, just a very sharp play this week against Tommy DeVito. Might as well be Dan- Danny DeVito. Uh, and that that is a total roster of Sam Howell, Bajon Robinson, Rashad White, Terry McLaurin, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. Michael Wilson, Logan Thomas, Rashid Shahid, and the Cowboys' defense costing us forty three point six k in salary, leaving six point four k in salary on the table. If you have never done the bottom up build contest before, I encourage you to jump in there, get creative. It's a free contest. Uh, it's linked linked in the player grid, linked in the uh, bottom up build channel in OWS Discord. And one of the coolest things about that bottom up build contest is. We'll see scores. We had a score this year of 190 points. Uh, We've had weeks where people scored 200 plus points. Uh, Maybe we've had multiple weeks this year where somebody scored 190 plus. And that's with 44K in salary spent. So, kind of shows you some of the doors you can open up in your mind when you start playing with a smaller salary cap, figuring out how to fit in as much ceiling as possible. Uh, We see a lot of people play around with unique things where they're kind of taking these cheaper guys and going for like the 8k running back or the 8k wide receiver that's going to be low owned in the bottom up build contest because of their price tag, but then they have that ceiling. And then if the if the cheap guy ends up hitting, you know, Michael Wilson hits for a 20 plus 20 plus point game and you leverage that to be able to pay up for the Uh, expensive guy who also puts up 30 plus points or 35 or 40 points uh, can gain you a nice edge. So um, yeah. And then that gives you like a nice floor to work with for building your, your, uh, you know, 50 K salary cap rosters. Uh, So yeah, encourage you to hop in there. And with that, that wraps up everything for this week. As always, thanks for hanging out. Uh, We will see you on the site throughout the weekend. The scroll will start getting populated. Uh, this evening friday evening if you're watching this on friday we'll start getting populated friday evening with my player grid and whatever else goes up on friday night the rest will come in saturday morning so we will see you on the site throughout the weekend hopefully i will see you in props insider soon and we will see you on top of the leaderboards once again on sunday